Welcome to Kashris on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashris Magazine. And uh, tonight's show, I think, will be very interesting. It's going to be a little different. We're going to be concentrating mostly on one topic, or from a very large number of different sides of that topic. Something happened recently, and I'm going to share it with you. Actually, what precipitated tonight's show happened a few months ago. But I just happened to meet somebody on uh, in Shul. In Shul. A, lot of th- a lot of things that I mentioned on the radio happened in Shul. I don't know why that is, but uh, somebody came over to me. I know him. He was a mashkiach. He's actually been a mashkiach for many, many years. And uh, his daughter worked for me. And uh, he um, he told me that the, he's no longer working in a certain position and that they let him go. And he told me that I could find out the details on the Internet. And uh, didn't that was the whole conversation because it was Mincha was switching, he was going, I was coming. I looked. I went look and see what it says on the Internet. And here's what I found. I found that uh, he was let go. And the circumstances are very, very interesting because the reason he was let go had nothing to do with him being a mashkiach because he is a, an excellent mashkiach and has been so for many, many years. And he's, got, he's worked in a number of different kinds of settings. He's a very capable, smart man, catches everything. Not a, as a mashkiach, he's not, there's nothing, nothing better. That I can tell you. Nothing better than Mashkiach. But this reason that he was he was let go was something to do with how he got along with the people. Not the people that employed him. Not the... the he was in a university setting, and uh, it wasn't the people who employed him. But he dealt with students. Now, that was unofficial. And um, in many places... That's one of the big pluses that a mashkiach uh, is, is like an, he's like another man working on the staff, especially if it's a school that has any uh, has a segment of people who are who are religious. It, it would be uh, it's it's a big real big boon, you know that the chabads and uh, work on the campus. They have specific men. You have a chabad. Uh, in town that does a Chabad house and another Chabad fellow who works on the campus, usually not the same person. It's a very it's a full-time activity pretty much. And there, there are countless numbers of people who are working and they, they actually double. And sometimes they are. And besides that, I've read tremendous numbers of articles about people who became from because they met the Meshkiach. I've seen it on, uh, I think, I, I believe it, the Star K website, and I can't remember the exact places right now, but I've met a number of people where the because they they met the rabbi, you know, and and that's that did everything for them. One particular story, I think it was, I don't know if it was on the Star K website, but I I read it was about the Star K some Star K mashkichim in the university, and this boy, you know, he didn't have a good background, and he used to spend a lot of time talking to the to the mashkichim. And they basically made him from. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, he talks about it, how he became from. 
There's a number of stories like this. So it's not so strange that the, the Mashiach speaks to the students. But obviously, in this particular case, he upset some students. And it seems there was one particular incident. A lot of people were there. And whatever was said, I have no idea. I don't know the details. But uh, basically, that was the cause of letting him go. And we have to we have to analyze it slightly. Uh, the question of the mashkiach is he looked and of course if somebody does something abusive, they should be let go because we can't have such people around us. There's no question about that. But does he have to does he have to satisfy all the people all the time? Is that the job of the mashkiach? Is he supposed to be like a social worker or a uh, uh, somebody uh, you know who is an entertainer? Or is he is he supposed to be uh, uh, you know some kind of socialite? What what do we expect from the mashkiach? I mean, I would expect competency. I I, I remember. The faces on the mashgichim that I've seen uh, on many many occasions, they're beat, they're under pressure. It's a tough job. Sometimes it's an extremely tough job, and sometimes they they're not always happy with what happens. <laughs> sometimes they're very frustrated, and it, the tough it, it is a tough job. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of time pressure, a lot of people that he's exposed to in the in, in the cooking setting. It's it's not an easy job. And many of them, their personalities are not geared to being public speakers, to be uh, socialites, to be you know, to get all you know, to, to, that they should be friendly, social. I mean, that's not really what they're all about. I mean, some tamashkichim are fantastic. They 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 could be get up and give a speech, and they could uh, give a shear, and they could do. Uh, yeah, plenty of mashkichim are. I have all of the qualities that we look for that we always respect. But some mashkichim are just hard workers. Good eyes, good brain, uh, sincerity. And that's what I want. That's what I want as a mashkich. I want somebody who does the job of mashkacha. But now we've got the question, what is he allowed to say? And what's he not allowed to say? Who is he allowed to speak to? For how long? Are there rules here? This is uh, something that uh, I believe the kosher community must look at. And I'm, I have a concern about this particular case and some of the other cases that I've dealt with over the years. And, and I feel that uh, to a certain extent, the, the mashkichim are getting the raw end of the deal. On the other hand, I think the mashkichim have to be aware that they're in a social setting. Every time you walk into the, a business, an, opera, an operating business, first of all, you're always, you're always uh, are the, you, know, you might be the eyes and the ears of the people giving hashkacha, but you're also some representative. I'd like to start with this story because it goes back many years. I would hate to tell you how many years, <laughs> but I'll tell you, and you can figure it out yourself if you want to. When we first started our yeshiva, because we had a yeshiva for 19 years, Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain, I founded the yeshiva, and I was the menial of the yeshiva. And we had Baruch Hashem, my, my Rebbe was, was one of the Magide Shir, Rabbi Zimman, Rabbi Brodsky was the Rosh Yeshiva. It was a beautiful yeshiva, and we had tremendous 
impact on the boys that we had. You know, I couldn't call them boys. They were all men. They were men then, and now they're certainly men. But Baruch Hashem, we put out some very, very fine products. And one of the best products we ever put out is this gentleman I'm going to tell you about. Now, he came to us. He had been, he was already married, was, and he wanted to get to learn Yeridea from us and to get smicha and to go out into the world. And he buckled down, worked hard at it, did a wonderful job, got smicha from Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain, and now he's going to move on into life. He's got a family, only just a, with a wife at that time. He, the children came later, and he needs a job. So he looks. At that time, he, he, he got the smicha, and I think he applied for uh, with the RCA at that time to get uh, become a, a member of the RCA because that was an entranceway into Rabbanus, etc. And he basically went into Rabbanus. So uh, he he, uh, he applied to the RCA. The RCA sent somebody down to Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain to see if we're a legitimate Yeshiva. They have standards. They don't take everybody in. They don't get. They wouldn't let everybody. Uh, uh, you know, get smicha from any yeshiva, and anybody calls him himself a yeshiva. So they sent down a man. By the way, the person they sent down was a cautious person, <laughs> Rabbi, yes, Rabbi Solomon, uh, well, come back to me his last name again, from, from Queens. Um, and he, he, he came in, and he analyzed the place. He sat in the shear. He, che- he checked this for him. To see, there's a decent number of svarim in the, in the in the building, and to see that you know what the types of people who were learning there, Salman Shapiro, he gave hashkocha for many years. Fox's you bet syrup, you remember that one? It's done, now it's under the OU, but Rabbi Shapiro, he sat in the yeshiva for a few hours, or at least an hour. Maybe I don't forget it was more or not. Sat in the shir, talked in learning with the Rosh yeshivas, met everybody. Check the forum again, I'm telling you. And Paskin that uh, we're good enough for the RCA to give smicha. And then we were on the recommended list. And this rab, this young man, smicha, going out into the world, what's he going to do? So you know what? A job in Kostras came up, working for the OU. But it wasn't just a job for Kostras. It was a real position. He was working in the Republic National Bank, which had a kosher dining room because Edmund Safra was the owner of Republic National Bank, founder and owner of Republic National Bank, and he needed a kosher kitchen because he invited people up to his to, to have dinner. I mean, we're not going to run out to run all over Manhattan to try to find a spot that's kosher enough for him. So he wanted a kosher kitchen in his main office in Republic National Bank where he had his own personal office, and that's where he took everybody to eat. And he got the OU for it and paid a lot of money to get that, Hashkacha. Because you'll see in a second. And this guy had to go every day to the OU offices and to get the key to open up the uh, the Republic National Bank because they wanted to make sure that the key was in the OU office. He'd go, and then he had to bring me the key at the end of the day. So he met a certain rabbi over there 
every single day. And that rabbi was working in the OU offices for years. And he told me, the rabbi, he's earning more than me. <laughs> this is my shkiach. They just came out of Yeshiva Birkas Ruvain. He's earning more than the people who were working in the Kashos field for years. I, I could tell you the number. It's many years ago. Maybe it doesn't impress you today. But if we go back, let's say, to 1982 or 83, how is $40,000 for a mashkiach? That's what he was getting. Why did they hire him? What was so special about him? I'll tell you what it was. He was clean and neat, spoke well, had a pleasant personality, had no beard. And that's what they needed because when somebody came in to the Republic National Bank and went up to the floor there where the, where the, the dining room was and they sat down, the mashkia had to walk in to the, in the dining and say, is everything okay? Not just maybe the chef or the waiter, but the mashkia would come out and say, and say hello to the people. And that's what, the, that's what they wanted. And they wanted him because of the way he looked and the way he talked, what he represented, the OU, to them, and, the, and Kashras to them, that was, more, that was very important. And that's why they were paying top dollar. And he got it fresh out of yeshiva with a, with a, the, 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 the writing on the smicha wasn't even dry yet. That's what they wanted. Truthfully, they were all entitled to it. But I can tell you, we can't produce enough of those people because they have some, I know who I'm talking about. He is sociable. He's friendly. He's smart. He looks good. Until today. <laughs> he, he's been in the Rabunus all these years. But how many people could do that Go from the the kitchen of the uh, of a restaurant into becoming a rabbi of a, of a synagogue and standing in front of hundreds of people to uh, give it to Russia. Not everybody could do that. We have to accept that mashgichim have a tough job, and they can't all do that. So we have to understand what they have to do and what they don't have to do. This is the this is the challenge that's uh, that we have today. Let me read a little bit about the story. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. So this rabbi, what happened was there was some kind of a discussion that went on in the school, and he got a little involved in it. And they didn't like some of the some of the people in the, or the students didn't like what he was saying, and basically they reported it to the. To the heads of the of the university, and he was let go. And there's an article written. I'm not going to quote really from the article, but I want to try to quote a little bit about what wasn't in the article. What was in the article, but was sort of left out also. This is a quote from the article. One student said that they began speaking to the rabbi at the beginning of their time in the school. He asked many deep questions, and the student reflected 
on their point of their worldview, the Ashkafa. They they continued talking, but at a certain point, the rabbi said to this young person that uh, didn't look like that the way that they normally looked. So the student said that the rabbi was the only one who recognized that something was wrong in their life. They were struggling with a sick parent, and that parent passed away shortly afterwards. And they continued to have problems through the coming year. And even though some people might say the rabbi was being nosy or intrusive and by, by talking about a lot of personal things, this this student, but this student said that that rabbi, the one that we fired, you see, is a positive guiding factor. That's what the student said about the rabbi. So some people didn't have a good experience, and some people did have good experience, and that's you know that's like life. I mean, you got to satisfy all the people all the time. I understand. Now. There was another. There was a story written in the pub, in the university publication, and now there was a letter written, a very good letter. And this letter was really a student mind wrote the letter. The student mind I had in the, uh, when when the student this person was very very young. <laughs> I, I had I had the student. Anyway, the student writes. I was deeply saddened to hear of the termination of this particular rabbi. He's always shown himself to be a perfect gentleman. The friendly ambiance, while still reflecting Torah values. Whenever I asked him a question regarding halacha, his answer always conformed with the more stringent side of the Jewish law. I, I cannot believe that this man was guilty of harassment which is being accused of. Uh, maybe the rabbi was just doing his job of mashkiach and of being a rabbi. Now, he asked, this person asked a question. Does that mean that staff at the school are not allowed to have conversations with other staff members about students? Okay, that's a, that's a side issue. I would, I would like to hear Rabbi so-and-so's side of the incident, but apparently he has been silenced. I don't know the details of all of this, but I, I'm going to just give you the last line here. College is not real life. Life is tough and cruel, and lives can be ruined just because someone did not talk to you so nicely. So that's the point. And obviously, the rabbi had to leave with a sour taste in his mouth. The rabbi had to have a little more difficulty finding a position in some, some situations, although he's working already. He is already working. Now, no question about that. But, again, uh, did he do the right thing, the wrong thing? I don't know. That's not really a, a germane. The question is, does a, a rabbi who's working as a mashkiach have no right to talk to people? Let's say you walk into a kitchen and you ask a question. And the rabbi says to you, I have no time to talk to you now. You'll have to leave. You'll have to leave. I'm busy working in the kitchen. What would happen? Do you have a right now 
to go to the caterer and say, you have a rabbi to look disrespectful to me. To me. Or do you have a right to the, go to the hashkocha, which the rabbi has worked for, and say, your man is, 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 uh, is inappropriate in the speech. Uh, he, do, he does not have any respect for anybody. Was, is, that, is that a proper evaluation? If you walked into somebody, if you go into a husband goes into the wife and she's working like a slave before Shabbos and making everything ready perfectly, and he say he asks some little in, in, in this in question, and she says, "Please, I, I, don't you know what's going on here? Place is going crazy, and I only have an hour for till Shabbos. What is he? What is he supposed to expect?" The other way around. You would walk into somebody's business, and you know you see them all, all, all busy, whatever it is, and you expect them to be able to be relaxed and just talk about whatever you want. So there is a there is a question here about how much control there should be on the rabbis working as mashgichim. There's a there was a bill of rights, a mashgichim's bill of rights. I worked on it a little bit. We wrote about it in the magazine. Uh, the rabbi in Atlanta, Rabbi Ruvain Stein, put it together. And there's two main things over there, two main provisions in the Bill of Rights for the Mashkichim. Number one is once a Mashkich uncovers a violation that results in an establishment's closure, to be given, he's, he should be given preference when a new position becomes available. Well, that's a biggie, because you have to understand what we're saying here. We're saying that if the rabbi tells, you know, it says if you don't, if you see, you have to tell, right? Then, you know, you see, tell, whatever. Now, if the rabbi tells, he loses his job. If he complains to the owner of the caterer, he he can get fired, or the or they'll tell the the, the, the they'll tell the mashkacha don't send this rabbi again. I don't want him anymore. If they if he complains to the kashrus organization that something's going on wrong, and they remove the hashkacha, he has no work. He's caught between this side and that side. What is he supposed to do? So officially, in the, uh, in the in the Bill of Rights that officially is going on, I don't know how much it's been signed away. The ACO people did sign on to it. But the official idea is that if he reports a problem and you take the Hashgacha away, he has first dibs on the next job. You can't put somebody else in first. He has to because otherwise, what are we doing to our people? We're telling him, tell if you see something wrong, and then when you got fired, you can wait a few months or a year to get another job. Is that what we're going to tell our people? Why, why would anyone want to tell that something's going on? Keep quiet and keep your job. So obviously, what's happening is that we have to give them that opportunity to report a problem and, and feel that they're safe at least that the job would be replaced shortly. Rabbi Moshe Chait, who was the uh, was the, what they call him, probably Kasha's administrator for the Vada of the Five Towns before Rabbi Eisen, Rabbi Moshe Chait um, had a situation 
where there were two owners of a restaurant, an orthodox man and somebody who wasn't orthodox. They were partners. And the mashkiach discovered that the non-orthodox partner was bringing in trefa food to use in the restaurant. I, I assume that the other man didn't know, but anyway, this man was taking it in, and he was caught by the mashkiach, and they closed down the place. And Rabbi Chait said that until a job is found, we're going to pay him. We're going to pay the man. How else can we do this? If he if he found a problem like this, we can't just walk away from him. We can't just say, "Oh, <laughs> you lost your job. <laughs> you lost your job." That's he did his job. <laughs> we have to pay him. There's no money coming from 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 the from employer, but we have to pay him. How can we take a man's panasa away for doing his job? <laughs> so that's what Moshe Chait said. It's a great line. It's a great story. Unfortunately, it's a story. The other f- is a fact that when a man does say something and they take away the ashkacha, he loses his job and he loses his parnasa and the Bill of Rights says we're going to give him the next job, whenever that is. The one he's capable of doing, of course. It won't be a part-time. If he needs a full-time, it won't be over here. If he can't do that, if he can't li- lift things, can't do it. If it's got to be this guy, if he need require a, a bidikas taloim, he can't do bidikas taloim. He could sit there for months. No money. And we want him to do a job honestly? Come on. This is not fair. So that's that was that's that's the first part of the Bill of Rights that's supposed to be helpful to the Mashkir. The other one is uh, the Spectres. Uh, and the other one is that... Uh, what is the other one? I forgot already right now. I had it somewhere. Maybe I'm going to come across it again. It's in another one of my papers. <laughs> I'll get back to that one, other one later on. But uh, there were 10 actually all together. But these, there was one more important one. I'm trying to see the if it was here. Now another another uh, topic that I oh, hear I see some of the other things here about uh, here when the, when violations are found that can lead to tension between the mashgiach and the owner or the manager, large agencies such as the the industry leader the OU require that the owner or manager consult with the OU before dismissing. Any mashgiach, but smaller vads often don't have that kind of leverage. So, and again, you have to understand there's a very big conflict that the kashrus agency has when there is a difficulty with the uh, when there is a difficulty with the mashgiach getting along with the owner. And usually what happens, I mean, between you and I, what usually happens is they replace the mashkiach and they put a mashkiach in a different place because you you got you to gotta move them around because you have to have that a happy home. You have to have people who can work together. If the, uh, if the mashkiach is not getting along with the owner or the caterer or whatever, then uh, they, he, you know, he doesn't really, can't continue. I mean, the caterer is not going to leave his job because 
He's not going to leave his business because the mashkiach doesn't get along with him. It has to be, one has to go, it has to be the mashkiach. In some cases, maybe the uh, the person who gives ashkacha will work it out and, and, and convince the owner to keep him on. But a lot of times, they give in and they replace. And usually, they're replaced by a, I don't want to say weaker, but by a more easygoing man who may not see and uh, be mockpit on all of the same things because that's what the owner wants. The owner wants an ease, a softer man that he can push around a little bit more. And that's why he doesn't want this mashkir because this mashkir is usually too tough. He's requiring the requirements of the hashkacha. They want somebody that's a little bit more malleable. I can, he can pressure him a little more, threaten him a little more, etc., let me let me share with you. Uh, we're talking about the the problems in in, in in the industry here. There have been many cases of mashgichim that left disgruntled. I'm not going to go into them unless we have a little time at the end, but I, I'm going to leave some of those people off. You may you've heard of them in the past, but I will tell you about somebody who's working right now. And told me a number of times about the things that go on in the places that he's worked in. Now, this fellow catches a lot of stuff. Baruch Hashem, he's got a good head. He also learned in Berkus Ruvain. <laughs> he's got a good head. And he catches a lot of stuff. And a lot of times he comes to me. A lot of times he, you know, goes to his hashkocha and straightens it out. But he's, he's constantly finding different things. So one time, not too long ago, very recently actually, he found something was a problem, and he told, uh, uh, you know, he told the chef or whatever, is, we're gonna, I'm telling the owner, actually it's not an owner, it's, um, I think it's like a caterer or something, wherever he works now, and the, the chef told him, don't you dare. If you tell, then I'm going to say that you're never here. In other words, the chef is threatening him that he's going to get him fired. And this is the kind of challenge that the mashkiach goes through. There are there are plenty of these on a day-to-day basis. So that's aside from everything else, the mashkiach has to deal with that. What does it what does it matter? How does that relate to this other stuff that we're talking about? Because we want a competent person. We're asking a person to put himself on the line every day in the kitchen, every day watching this, every day doing checking of vegetables or, or whatever it is, or the, getting the orders in, lifting heavy things. We're asking him to do all that. And then you're going to say, but he has to be sociable enough to be working in the Republic National Bank's dining room? That's so unrealistic. Sometimes these people can have tempers. Sometimes these people could be upset just because of the stress. That it, what about the heat in the kitchen, the physical heat? And what about the atmosphere and when the lotion, the, 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 the nizzle pad that they listen to? What about all the tough stuff in life? And we're worried about whether or not he speaks nicely on every, every day to every single person. It would be nice if he wasn't a grumpy old man or something, but, 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 let's, but even if he were, 
maybe as we have to sort of look a little bit away. The mashgiach has to be a mashgiach. You know, I mean, with you, you can't insult people all day. You can't yell at them all day. But then there are different people. And, 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 and you don't have to focus on somebody being cranky or whatever. I'm not saying that's what happened, but I'm just saying you don't have to focus on that. You could say that they're a person, and a person has different parts of them. That's what I think. Anyway, let's go on a little bit. One of the big areas that everybody uh, has been talking about for 100 years already, I mean, for a really a long time, is that... Uh, see, we didn't do that one. Okay, we'll get back to that. Is the question about who's paying the mashkiach? Because if we don't want if we want the mashkiach to be fair and honest, and we want him to report the things that are wrong, we want to enforce things. We want him to put himself in the line where he sometimes could get yelled at and by, uh, get someone threatened. And some of these people have been threatened with knives. Yes, 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 this has happened. I've been told this many times of people were threatened with knives from the workers and then in the, who have those knives. So yes, it's it's a real world. So you want the person to be someone who will, who will tell and who will take a chance, maybe even lose his parnasa. Well, if he's being paid by the owner, don't you think that that affects him a little bit? Don't you think that when it comes down to pressing the issues that he's going to side more with the owner? Don't you think he's going to back off if the owner threatens him? Don't you think that? He, in other words... He's not a free agent, and not a free agent. He's not necessarily really the mashkiach for the kashas agency. He's really a worker for the owner, and the kashas agency is relying on him because he's an Orthodox Jew. That's really what's happening in many cases. So it's not very, very, very good setup. But the alternative is pay all those people. Well, let's say the OU has thousands of mashkichim. They'd have to have a budget of Many, many, many millions of dollars a year just to pay out salaries. Many, many millions of dollars. I don't even want to think of the number. 100 million, 50 million, 70 million. Something big to, just to pay out salaries. It would be a, a financial fiasco for the OU to be able to take that on. That's what I thought. However, I have to tell you, the MK, Montreal Cautious Organization, is doing it. They're doing it. I'll read to you a little bit about what's, what what somebody said. He works for them. He works for them. This was published in January 2018. Hmm, not long ago. January 2018 is a, a publication, Our Community, from the MK. And this gentleman writes over there, Worry? That's what it was. He was always an overthinker. Now he was wondering if he could handle the responsibility. It was in Pesach 2006. I was spending the holiday in Morristown, New Jersey with my in-laws. I was chatting with a friend in Shul catching up. We both had married within a month of each other. Now we were working, worked the same job. I was a mashkiach for the MK at a Montreal caterer. He had recently been hired by a cautious organization in the U.S., to ensure that the kosher restaurant in the area that he lived in maintained the organization's high standards. You're lucky, he told me. 
I'm paid by the owner of the restaurant. What do I do if I'm placed in a situation where I catch him doing something wrong? If I cause trouble for him, he would would he want to pay me? So that is what that man said. Now the other one, the one who wrote the article, is is talks a little bit about the MK. I think I'll I'll sneak it in over here because we have the time. But he says the following that when it comes to this thing about the payment, he says the MK staff staffs a full office and pays the mashkicham directly. There are some organizations whose mashkicham are paid by the restaurateur, the caterer, the butcher, or the baker, the one who owns the business he was high, is hired to watch. The mashkiach can be placed in a delicate situation. At the MK, each mashkiach receives their paycheck from the MK. Their relationship with the owner is expected to be respectful and professional, and neither party worries about what, what may happen when a, a, a kashrus issue uh, comes up. When my Morristown friend discovered a spice in the, back, uh, in the back of his restaurant that didn't have a kosher symbol, and we're saying he's working in the U.S. for the OU. This is what they wrote. I'm not going to read it. I think as if they wrote it in the article. So he said that um, he was he was under tremendous pressure, fearing that reporting the incident may result in him getting fired. I read it. And it says that he's uh, this is the MK put it out. And he says that he's that his friend is working back here in the U.S. And um, he says he's working. I think he said the we said the OU. No, why did I say the OU? Bad, bad move on me, my part. <laughs> I never do that. But I thought he, I, I thought I saw that, and I did not see it. No, he did not work for the. It doesn't say he worked for the OU. We don't know who Sashkoch it was. That that strike that whole thing out. <laughs> okay, I hope I hope everybody heard heard my correction. We do not know who he, this other friend worked for, but he's working for somebody in the United States in a restaurant, and he's afraid to tell the hashgacha that the that the that the, the, the spices don't have a hashgacha. So he said, "I faced a similar situation while working as a mashgir for the MK and notified my roving inspector. He advised speaking directly to the owner." We discovered the error, and the issue was quickly resolved without any stress on anyone. This third-party method of payment is another component of maintaining the highest level of kashras. So I'm sorry about that mistake that I made before, but in any event, we see here that this works in the MK. How long has the MK been doing it? A couple of years, a bunch of, not a lot. I remember when they first mentioned it. If I don't know if it's five or seven years ago, but it's not a lot of years ago. The point is, they decided recently, that's what I'm saying, they decided recently, this doesn't work. We have to change. I remember speaking to, to Rabbi Emanuel from the, from the MK, and, and, and we talked about it. He was very animated. He was very concerned about the whole issue. And he said, we have to change it. We've got to change it. In Israel, in Petach Tikva, they had a problem with people in the community complaining 
that with about the mashkichim. Either they're not coming enough, or they're this enough. Or what I don't know what it was. I can't remember. I didn't, it's been a, you know, it's a bunch of years ago. Maybe it was 2010. I don't know what year it was. But there was some kind of complaint, and they even had a, a strike. And um, I don't know. It wasn't a strike. It was a protest, and they they, had, they signed uh, they signed papers, petitions. It was a whole big deal there. And then they decided in Petach Tikva, okay. We're not. You're not going to be able to get paid by the restaurant. <laughs> but you want the the rabbanut and tikva to take care of hundreds of different checks for the for the different the mashgichim. So they came up with an idea which is very good. I personally think it's good. I maybe mean, it isn't, but I think it's good. They got a manpower company, a place that hires that 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 that, that sends workers to fill jobs. And you 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 hire a mashkiach from the manpower company. Now, this is all probably in cooperation with the rabbanut, but the manpower company is a third party. It's not the 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 rabbanut. It's not the owner of the restaurant. It's a third party. Now, obviously, if we're having third parties, there's some money that's lost in the shuffle. True, but there's also it's almost like a union. It's a little protection. And besides that, you are not being paid by the owner of the restaurant. And the hashkacha can't complain. This is killing them. They don't know how to handle the finances. So it worked. It's worked it, it, this is what was set up. 300 hashkachas are under already. 300. Just for alone. 300 establishments are already in this system where they're being paid by the, uh, the manpower company that is, is hired to uh, to send workers as mashkichim to the uh, to the particular restaurants. So yes, the, the, the rabbanut has control on on you know, how often they come and reports, etc. The manpower company is doing a little, little factoring, taking the money in, sending the money out, whatever it is, and the and the uh, obviously they have to get money back from the from the rabbanut. To to pay these people because they the rabbanut has is collecting the money from the from the cash from the restaurant so somewhere along the line it all it all evens out it just started but I think it's an interesting concept and we should be looking at that one here in the United States and I can see a manpower thing working for many of these communities I can't imagine uh, an Atlanta Georgia you know uh, something in an orthodox vod in Philadelphia you know taking on all that financial responsibility of paying the mashkichim directly I can't imagine it it's a very hard thing I don't know how Rabbi Emanuel does it but I think yes we could do it if we, with this manpower thing that's working in Petach Tikva and I'm hoping that everyone's going to be starting to look at that at, at Petach Tikva and see how that develops we're certainly rooting for them to work and be successful. So that's the direct pay. Uh, this did, uh, I think we're going to mention this, uh, some of the other people who had difficulties and some of the difficulties that they had. I'd like to I'd like to share with you a little bit of an article that uh, was sent to me. 
if I, can, I have to get it right now, that's the question. <laughs> there, there's so much stuff on the on the desk here. So if we can find it, it seems. Oh, I was going to do the other thing too. Maybe then we'll get back to that. There was an article I have. It's really from a friend of mine, Rabbi Lubinsky. If I can, if I can find it, Rabbi Lubinsky uh, from the uh, Lubicom. And he was commenting on this issue of the uh, mashkichim, but it is not. Oh, I don't really have it in front of me. Well, anyway, what it, basically he, what he was talking about uh, was the fact that there's a lot of other issues that we haven't mentioned about the the physical plant. Sometimes the mashkiach finds things that are inappropriate in the plant, such as safety issues, such as health issues, um, cockroaches. I remember recently there was a meat factory, actually a chicken factory. I'm not going to tell you any details about it because I don't. I made the mistake already. That I didn't say anything that led to something else. I should never have done that. I'm sorry. Uh, the the uh, the the uh, there was a meat a chicken plant uh, that 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 was that moved. I don't know. I think I think they moved because they were under pressure. Right. The government came down and gave them major fines, major fines for water leaking in. It was that there was water leaking into the building and getting into the chickens and coming from the roof. I don't know how exactly how it was, but it was terrible. There was huge fines for it. Now, the mashkichim were all there. The shaykhtim, the baitkim, the, the, the mashkichim. There's a million people running around there who knew everything that was going on in the plant. They knew it was run down, and they knew it was unhealthy and unsafe. They didn't have any problem with that. But they get fired if they said anything. And they kept quiet. And in some cases, I know that Mashkichim have spoken up about the plant. And I know that Shochtim have spoken up about the plant. And they've gotten fired. And that's one of the issues. Don't they have a right to report these things? And again, how is it working? I'll talk, since we got that far, I'm going to just take another minute or so, and I'm going to share with you what this gentleman said in January 2018 about what's going on in, 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 in Canada in the MK. Now, I had no vested interest in this, but he has a very interesting discussion about uh, but you can go to you can go to the MK website, and if you want to get this thing, it's called Our Community 2018. I mean, it's, it's now. This was put out, and what's interesting is he describes their setup. It isn't so different than anybody else, but I, it it does sound better than than some of the things that I've heard before. There's like a, a he calls it a four level system of how they manage the cash uh, manage the cashless organization. Um, he says the the, first of all, let's say, for example, uh, you, you have a refrigerator. So the refrigerator has to be, has to have a lock, and the only ones who, who have the, uh, the lock, the, I'm sorry, the code to the lock, it's like numbers or something, the only one who has the code to the lock is the MK offices, 
and the mashkiach. And he has to open it up and close it, just like, you know, that's a, that's a proper hashkacha. I mean, unfortunately, there are places that don't do that, but that's, that's what proper hashkacha is. The second level is that, that uh, any restaurant, restaurant with, a, with an MK symbol has a full-time mashkiach and a roving inspector. Roving inspector means that he's going to come around, he comes in unannounced. The roving inspectors travel around the city and pop in unannounced. They're the first person that the mashgiach will call, and he helps him with everything. He's sort of like a teacher, an advisor, and a friend. The next level is... um, is an is the office that answers the the calls. A lot of times, the, uh, the 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 roving inspector was busy, and he was dealing with a different situation at different restaurants. So they you call up the office, and there's the office is uh, as will help you out with the whatever your needs are. And then there's another level. They have uh, is the different uh, rabbanim who paskin shilas. and uh, if there's anything that has a real shaila, you can consult there. This is what he calls his four levels of support. But then he tells us about another level, which I thought was very interesting. He said, it was a few summers back when I began working for the MK when I experienced the first of numerous random visits from MK experts. Rabbi Barkany, I suppose that's his real name, Moshe, yeah, Moshe Barkany, set, it came into the, into the, uh, into the place, the restaurant, and he was holding a box of red peppers. He sh- he took the it was raining outside. He took the rain off his he shaked the rain off his coat, and he couldn't understand why this rabbi was here. And rabbi Abark and he put the box on the table, and got excited when I told him, "Thank you, but we already have red peppers." <laughs> Rabbi Barkany pulled a large magnifying glass from his pocket. He told me, we've seen a temporary insect infestation in red peppers from certain countries, he explained, peering at the bottom of one of the vegetables that, I gave, that I'd given him. Here, see for yourself. I looked skeptically. The truth was in plain sight. The pepper was swarming with bugs. The red pepper ban lasted a couple of months until the infestation was taken care of. So they send around experts to make sure that things are like this, a special problems that they're having, be taken care of in each particular facility. There's a lot of people involved between the uh, the person who sits in the head office, Rabbi Saul Emanuel, and uh, his assistants, and then and 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 then there's all these other people, the roving inspectors and the mashkichim and the, the experts and the rabban and baskani. It's a lot. It's a big organization. It's a big. It's a big activity, and then they're paying all the mashkichim. Amazing. They're not afraid to do that. I I, I was very impressed by this whole thing, uh, how it was explained over here, and I I think uh, hoping praying that that the idea of paying the mashkiach directly from the organization, or better yet, from the manpower organization, would be wonderful. Now I bring you a special treat. This is going into the Kashrus magazine, and I, I had something to do with the writing, so I'll be honest about that. But the story is unbelievable. I get a lot of emails 
not too many letters for the editor, but I got a lot of emails. Usually people asking me, oh, I can't tell you, some of the most silly things, and we try to help them in so many ways. I can't imagine how much time and effort, and, and but people need help, and they, we, we're happy to offer it. But occasionally you get one of these, and not often. This person wrote almost what, the word for word what I'm telling you now. He's a goy. He's not Jewish. How he found me, I'll never know. I actually, I should have found out. He lives in France. He doesn't live here, but he did. And I'm going to read the story. It's only going to take a couple of minutes. It's going to be in the next issue of the magazine, but I don't think that you should wait to hear it because it's great. And it really, really, really is the end of the story of what we were discussing tonight. Working with the rabbi in a New York City restaurant, his real name, Joseph Perez. For quite some time now, I've been working in catering, restaurants, and food service environments. It's been five years since I worked in a high-end New York City kosher restaurant, my first time working in a kosher environment. It was a unique experience for me, a great learning environment, but oh, so much more, a real privilege. I was a baker and pastry cook, but quite raw in those days with so much to learn. Without much familiarity with the Jewish faith, he's, he's not Jewish, he's um, Baha'i. <laughs> okay, if you don't know what it is, look it up. He's Baha'i. That's the name of it, the organ of religion. I found myself surrounded with quintessential, sorry, quintessential rituals, which means, okay, which were carried out by the two rabbis at the restaurant. I realized that these traditions are not solely representing a sense of practicality, but also perhaps much more. Coming from a different religion, I've grown to appreciate deeply the experience. It was a magical one for me. As a floating baker at first, I was responsible for baking bread. I was working alone, something that I really enjoyed. It was very comfortable. It also put me near the rabbi's washing station, where he washed the vegetables and meticulously examined them with his light box and jeweler's loop. It was a real sight to see. The breads were rolls that, that required exactness. Each roll had to be a certain number of grams, and I was responsible that they came out of the oven consistent in weight. You can weigh the dough on a scale, but I did it by sight and feel. I could tell how, how, each one, how much each one weighed. It was kind of uncanny, as if I had a special sense. I couldn't miss. I did it quickly and efficiently, almost effortlessly. This task, which I had never quite completed on my own before, now seemed so easy. Each bun came out, consistent to the gram, and I felt great. Before I baked the bread, the rabbi would pull some dough, place it on a piece of tin foil, and then put that pulled dough to rest above an open flame. 
allowing it to smoke through whilst praying. My favorite of the rabbi's rituals was one which followed when the bread was finished baking. He would wash his hands, then break the hot, fresh, steaming bread with his hands, hold it in the air just long enough to finish his blessing, and finally eat it. That was magic indeed. In this environment with people who were all mindful for my cultivation, my job was not finished when the owners decided to outsource the bread. Rather, I was moved to the pastry line where I remained for some time until there was one small issue, well, one big issue which arose, the lava cake. If you've never seen one, a lava cake is a cake that comes out to the table, hot to the table, and when pierced with a fork, oozes out chocolate, much like lava oozes out from a volcano. It's some sight. But try as I did, mine came out hard, so hard you could bounce them. I just could not master it. And so my time at at that idyllic spot came to an end. I hadn't had the wherewithal to successfully perform this seemingly simple task, but I didn't have a solution back then. And so that was that. Now I realize that with a timer, I could have gotten it out of the oven earlier and then rushed to the table and it would spurt out forth the chocolatey treat. As I was being let go, I was taken aback by the support I received from everyone. I felt finally I was leaving a job with my dignity intact, gracefully and with a bit of honor, thankful to have been shaped into a better person, a better learner, and a more mindful person. You know, the turnaround time for staff in a restaurant, the chefs, the bakers, the garnishers, is under two years. I came back to visit the rabbis, and I used to meet them on the trains in Brooklyn. One time, I had my knives with me, and I asked the rabbi to bless them. To me, the rabbis were like priests, high priests, and I wanted the kosher blessing on them. Patiently, the rabbi explained to me that he could not bless a knife and that that was not what kosher was all about. I love the time that I spent with those rabbis, And so I reached out to this magazine to get my recollections into print. True, true letter. That is just like the story in Republic National Bank. That's two rabbis who made a big Kiddush Hashem with a non-Jew who four years later, he's 28 years old and I was 24 then, four or five years later, whatever it was, he reached out to me, and I spoke to the man. This is a real story. This is a real person. A real love for, for, the, for that rabbi, those rabbis, the big kid of Shashem. In one person's mind, I think it's a, telling about what a mashkiach can accomplish. And just like my friend, the, the Talmud, who accomplished in Republic National Bank, these people accomplished in whatever place they were working in. Actually, I do know the name of the establishment, but I wouldn't print it. So, yes, that's definitely the way it should be. But I think a little bit we have to understand that rabbis and mashkichim are people, and if you get a chance, you're in a restaurant or catering facility, 
say hello to the mashkiach, give him a smile and wish him a good e- evening, and thank him for the work that he does, because he does work hard and he's working for us. Till next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, for Kashrus on the Air.